I must've been about seven years old. We were supposed to go to youth group. And I was sitting on the couch with my dad. I was sitting on his lap and he was holding me, like he had his arm around me. And my mother came in and she was like, come on, it's time to go to church. And I said, nah, I don't want to go. And she said, no, you're going, come on. And my dad said, he's not going tonight. He's staying with me. And I remember he like grabbed me and kind of held me against him. And she left. And then it was just me and my dad. It was just such a good feeling. I'm Matthew Philp. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. And I'm Erin Hosier. And this is Tell Me About Your Father, a podcast about father figures, daddy issues, and dismantling the paternal mystique. We talk to fascinating people about how much they did or didn't know about the man who helped create them and make them the person they are today. So settle in and listen as we delve into some dad stuff. Welcome to another episode of Tell Me About Your Father. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. And I'm Erin Hosier. Today we spoke to the anonymous man, we call him Christian, behind the viral social media account known as Christian Nightmares, which is an archive of American evangelical messaging, videos, photographs, and other pop culture phenomena going back decades in all their disturbing, to us, glory. Christian opens up about being raised a fundamentalist Baptist and how that shaped his life. Yeah, Elizabeth, for context for our listeners, I was also raised in an evangelical Christian church, as you know, Mm -hmm. which became the basis for my book, Don't Let Me Down, and in part for this podcast. So while Christian and I might talk about the negative experiences that we had in our respective churches, We definitely respect that faith is personal and are not here to indict organized religion, spirituality, or the church in which you were raised, etc. Our heathenism is our own. So if this makes you feel defensive, this might not be the tell me about your father episode for you. Today, we're going to be making references to the fire and brimstone types, the rapture, creationism, the moral majority, focus on the family, televangelism, and the capitalist Christianity practiced by vintage hucksters like Jim Baker and Jerry Falwell, as well as the contemporary ones like Jerry Falwell Jr. and Joel Osteen, both in the news this year for various legal and moral scandals. Listen as we try to parse why Aaron was told that Christian women shouldn't wear pants and why our guest was told that Christian men should never wear shorts. And Hmm. we hear from new dad Christian as well about how he's redefining the role of father and bringing it down to earth. Let's hear from Christian. When did you start Christian Nightmares? Was it a success out of the gates? Because it's it has such a, a strong following. I started it in 2009. And really, I think what made it easy for me to do it or what finally was motivating for me to do it was Tumblr came along and I could just throw up a website really quickly. Like I didn't, I thought about doing something like this for a while and I'd ask somebody if they could build a website and it ended up being really expensive. And anyway, it was kind of the technology that kind of helped me finally do it. I just decided to just go back and start looking, researching some of these characters and people from my past that terrified me or that freaked me out or that just left a real lasting impact on me. And I just started Googling that stuff and I just kind of went down a rabbit hole with 
all of it. And I think the first thing I posted was this guy named Merrill Womack. He was a Christian singer who had survived a plane crash, but he was burned over like 90% of his body. And my mom used to take me to go see him. And there was just something really kind of scary about watching this guy sing. And there was also kind of a gawking element to it and a kind of like, well, if this guy can still praise God after being burned over 90% of his body, what's your excuse kind of thing going on? Yeah. Did you know about the artist Johnny, the one with one name, Johnny? Elizabeth, this woman in evangelical lore, another one of these heroes who I I guess uh, she was in a a diving accident and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic and she had been an artist and she could no longer use her hands. So she taught herself how to paint through God's love and mercy with her mouth, with her teeth. She'd hold the paintbrush. Yeah. My mom loved her. Yeah. Right. She was super popular in the church I grew up in. Kristen, you mentioned that some of these things were things that had terrified you as a kid. Was that kind of the reason behind starting this to understand the scary stuff that you'd faced in the name of the Lord, for lack of a better phrase? I think so. I don't know if it was that conscious at first. I think I just was curious to look back at all of this stuff and to look at it through adult eyes. And I guess I was seeing what I was so scared about. A lot of it was about the rapture because that was something that really terrified me as a kid. I mean, like, I was all in with that. I would go to bed every night and and say the same prayer over and over again. I was terrified that I wasn't dying in my sleep and I was, wasn't really saved and I was going to end up going to hell. And in the church I went to, which was a very fundamentalist Baptist church, that came up a lot. They showed movies about it. They would, at the end of a lot of sermons, it would be, you know, if you were to walk out of here and get hit by a car, do you know where you'd spend eternity? You know, it was just, there was a lot of fear. Yeah. Fear around that. And so I was uh, really terrified of the rapture. So I just started doing a lot of research on that. And that's kind of where it started. Yeah. When I was like in junior high, I made the the cheerleading squad for the first time. And there were three months before cheerleading was about to begin. And I was just like, this is when the rapture happens. Like it's yeah, yeah. just when I feel like I finally got something and I'm excited about something, the rapture is going to happen. Let's tell the folks at home what the rapture even is, because I don't think, (laughs) you know, people necessarily know. Tell us about where you grew up and what your first lessons of, say, the rapture were. Sure. I want to keep it a little vague where I grew up, just because I'm anonymous with Christian nightmares. But um, I will say that uh, it's basically the Northeast, not really an area that you uh, typically think of when you think of hardcore fundamentalist Baptist uh, churches. But yeah, my exposure to it was, I mean, it was preached a lot about in church. um, But I think what really, really impacted me was on New Year's Eve, they used to have, I don't know if you remember, like watch night services. Yeah. It was a, you stayed up till midnight and it was a, it was a long service and lots of singing and prayer. And then in my church, they would show a movie and the movie they would often show was A Thief in the Night, which Mm. was this, a movie about the rapture. So, so just to explain what the rapture is, According to evangelical Christians, it's when Jesus Christ is going to return and call all of his believers up into heaven and everybody else is going to be left on earth. And there's going to be seven years of tribulation where the Antichrist will come into power 
And the way it was portrayed to us anyway, was people have different interpretations of, of how it's all going to go down. But it was taught that if you wanted one last chance to get to heaven, you were going to have to deny the Antichrist and they would ask you to renounce Jesus and you'd have to say no, and you were most likely going to be beheaded. Oof. So that was a... <laughs> Christian, how old were you when you were learning about being beheaded and the Antichrist coming? I mean, I got, you know, saved, quote unquote, when I was five. So really... Yeah. I mean, I think at around that age is, is when it started yeah. going to those kind of services. I'm about to read you guys a, a little segment from my memoir, Don't Let Me Down, <laughs> okay. now in paperback. Thank Woo! you, Simon and Schuster. Um, <laughs> about getting saved when I was six. And I know that I was six because it's imprinted in my memory because I didn't feel like I got saved properly. I don't feel like I did it because nobody was really witnessing it. And maybe mm. my voice wasn't loud enough. That reminds me a little bit of some of Christian nightmares. You know, you have this great footage of those baby evangelicals who are just pantomiming their mm. parents who are mm -hmm. doing scripture and speaking in tongues or speaking in Hebrew. And this poor, like, three-year-old is just like, but I should die. You know, anyway. <laughs> and people are like, see, see the work that Jesus did? <laughs> exactly. Okay, so at age five, I thought that Jesus had always been among us. And most of the people around me talked to and about him all the time. I was young enough to still be pure in the eyes of God, already washed in the blood of the Lamb, so filled with the hyperbole of the Holy Spirit that it bubbled up and overflowed. I couldn't hide my light under a bushel. I was going to let it shine. The thing about Jesus was that you never saw him, but he was always listening, and all pronouns attributed to him were to be capitalized. When I was six, it became important to me to get saved. I wanted to do it myself and to have my own conversation with the Father. Ask if he could take away my sins so I could be born again. I memorized my little prayer and took it to the bathroom for a private chat. Just us guys. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry I'm bad. I want to invite you into my heart so that I can be a beacon. In your name, amen. After I asked Jesus to come into my heart, I tried to imagine him watching me, proud the way grown-ups were proud whenever I did something right. I tried hard to feel the love. After a time, I got the urge for some feedback and went to tell my mom and grandmother about what I had just accomplished. I just got born again, I said. My grandmother clapped her hands up under her chin with delight and letting loose her patented, oh, Aaron. She and my mother had been deep in conversation, but both seemed pleasantly surprised by my revelation. I liked the response so much that I announced I was going to go and do it all over again, just to make sure he'd heard. All that talk of saving, needing a savior. I pictured Jesus as a handsome superhero, Superman and a crown of thorns. No wonder we were always in trouble. It was kind of fun to imagine being rescued. Mm, that's really good. But it was kind wow. of fun to imagine being rescued. 
it was just such a fantasy to get to live in these crazy Bible stories all the time. I think my experience was a little different. This was very, very important to my mother. I know this podcast is about fathers, but I'm going to talk about my mom for a minute. So even at five years old, I remember doing it to please her. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was the main motivation. And I think that I knew I was supposed to believe, but I never knew if I really believed. And right. I think it would have been easier in some ways if I was all in and I, and I did believe. But for me, there was always this kind of dissonance. There was always this conflict between, I know I'm supposed to believe, but I don't really believe. And, you know, if I'm wrong about this, then I'm going to hell. It was just constant guilt and questioning yeah. and confusion, really. So I didn't really feel saved. And I realized that later on. And then I felt like there was something wrong with me for not being able to, to give myself to this. And then I was also terrified because deep down, I, I kind of knew that I didn't really believe it, but I was totally controlled by it. I was praying constantly. I was doing my devotions and reading my Bible. And I was trying to do everything I was supposed to do to please God, even though I wasn't quite sure if I really believed in it. Were your parents together? Yeah, they were. And that was kind of a big point of contention with them. My mother kind of, she joined the church and got saved and, and my father was not a part of it yeah. for a long time. And so yeah. they fought about that for quite a bit. Well, that's interesting because my mother also was the first one in our family to get saved and she really converted everybody. I was already a baby, but that was the whole reason that she got involved with this church was because it started as a Bible study which really started as just like a sewing, like let's get together and do crafts because we're lonely housewives in the 70s yeah. who didn't have jobs or any sort of education. So the husbands were gone mm -hmm. and the women would fellowship. And then one of them was just like, this is the answer to your bad marriage and your loneliness is to have Jesus and your husband will be happy because part of God's teachings are that the husband rules the house. And mm -hmm. even if he is not saved, it's your responsibility to do right by him and be an example and get your man in shape. Mm -hmm. And that really worked out for my dad, who was a hippie, but also like really wanted to have it all, you know? Yeah. And so he... He got into it, but I hear you about the mom, the mom being like the reason for the season, yeah. ironically. Yeah. Did you have siblings or other people in your life to bounce ideas off of? Yeah, I have an older brother. We were close in some ways, but we were pretty different. And he, he was kind of all in. He really uh, took it very seriously and I, I didn't take it as seriously. So I didn't really, I didn't really feel like I could talk to him about it too mm -hmm. much. And it was kind of classic first child. He was pushed really hard. He did really well academically. He was very straight laced and I was the more like rebellious one. And so we were different in that way too. But yeah, he was all in with it. Christian, did your dad eventually join the church or that wasn't something he was doing? I actually thought about this before, you know, getting ready to talk to you guys. Like there's two memories that really stick out to me. One of them is when I was a kid, I think I must've been about seven years old. It was a Wednesday night and Wednesday nights we were supposed to go to youth group. And I was sitting on the couch with my dad. I was sitting on his lap and he was holding me, like he had his arm around me and we were watching TV and he used to let me take sips of his beer when I was yeah. little. And, um, and it was such a good feeling. And my mother came in and she was like, come on, it's time to go to church. 
And I said, no, nah, I don't want to go. And she said, no, you're going, come on. It's, it's Wednesday. You're going to church. And my dad said, he's not going tonight. He's staying with me. And I remember he like grabbed me and kind of held me against him. Mm. And it was kind of a bittersweet memory. Like my mother freaked out and she, you know, was super upset. And I, she used to say things like, you know, you'll be sorry when I'm gone <laughs> stuff. And, mm. uh, and she left and then it was just me and my dad. And, uh, I don't know. It was just such a good feeling. I felt like he had my back and he was kind of protecting me. And it was just dad and yeah. son time and without any chaos and no more fighting in the house, you know? So that was part of it. But then years later, I mean, they fought so much about it. This was many years later. We were in church and there was an altar call and I had been watching my dad through the whole service and he just wasn't really paying attention. He was kind of spaced out and they did the altar call and he just kind of buttoned his coat and went forward. And it mm. just seemed so, I knew it was not he was doing it for my mom, you know? Yeah. And my, my mom saw my dad coming forward and all these you know women rushed around my mother and hugged her and, oh, he's finally come. Your prayers he's have finally. been answered. And, yeah. But it was a weird thing. Like I knew why he was doing it and I can't fault him for doing it, mm -hmm. but I kind of felt like, oh man, like yeah. <laughs> I thought we were he's in this together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Is he alive still? Yeah. Both my parents and are still alive. Are they still in the church? Yeah. My mother's very active in the church and my dad still, he goes, I think he gets something out of it. And my dad and I talk, he knows about Christian nightmares. You know, we can talk about most things. He's pretty, huh. pretty far lefty politically, but I think he's down with Jesus. He likes the teachings of Jesus and he can find that. He doesn't believe on all the fire and brimstone stuff. It's kind of something they just do together now. Listening to you yeah. talk, Christian, I'm thinking about a friend of mine that I knew growing up whose mother kind of got his family into evangelicalism. And his dad was not into it at all and was not a part of the church experience. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, he's really struggled with the kind of resentment towards his father of where, why weren't you protecting me from this insanity? Why was I four and five years old, terrified in my bed at night? Did you ever feel that way towards your father? Have you had conversations with him around that you had, you know, these thoughts as a kid that you were afraid and filled with guilt and stuff like that? Not until really much later, you know, this, it's kind of part of what really appealed to me about doing this podcast too, is because like, I've spent a lot of time talking about my mother you know? yeah, and uh, that influence. And especially because she got me into the church and stuff. And I haven't really explored feelings about my dad as much, but, um, but that is something I thought of. And it has come up, you know, the past several years, I did start to think like, where the fuck were you? You know, like. He wasn't going yeah. to church and it was like, all right, cool. See you guys later. But it was like, I kind of felt like I wish you were checking it out and seeing what we were sitting under and what they're filling our heads with and, and how scared we were, you know. Has he ever said, I'm sorry for not realizing what was happening or not being more active? He has said sorry. Yeah. I mean, he's, he said, you know, I, I, I didn't realize it at the time and I was doing what I thought was best for the family. I didn't think it was great for your mother and I to be fighting um, yeah. in front of you kids. And I just wanted to try to create more peace in the home and stability. And he did say, which is kind of very Christian language, which I was, you know, he, he did say something, you know, like I just thought that was maybe a better alternative to what the world had to offer, which right. Aaron, right. you know, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's the church and then there's the world. Right. Right. Yeah. They're, they both suck, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the world has better music and I stand but, by right. that. <laughs> right. That was like my, my dad's, you know, what he had going for him really was he couldn't really buy in all the way to the bullshit, but yeah. it 
bothered me that he could stand by and watch his wife being called like a bad mother because she didn't hit me enough. Also, when I was six, even though I was already saved, one woman in our church noticed that I talked back or didn't come when I was called quickly, or maybe I was trying to interrupt the, you know, my parents when they were saying goodbye after service, which anyone that's grown up in the church, like Sundays go on forever. It's like, you have to get up really early and you have to go to, it just really is unfun. And there was so much they could have done to make it better. Um, But I was just like being a normal kid. And this woman observed and told my mom, leave her with me for a weekend and I will have Mm. her, I'll fix her. I will put the fear of God into her. And I had already been like spanked because that was like the teachings of our church was spare the Mm -hmm. rod and spoil the child. And we had like a homemade paddle that some carpenter in the church, somebody else's dad you know, made paddles (laughs) and gave them out at Christmas to all of his like chums in the church. Um, And so this woman took it upon herself to beat the hell out of me and like returned me to my parents two days later, bruised and battered. And my mom has, she blocked it out for years, just for years. Like she couldn't even allow herself to remember how much shame she had and not even just the shame of like, I let somebody beat my kid, but why Mm -hmm. did somebody believe that I was such a shitty parent that they had Mm -hmm. to beat my kid for me? But was there empathy for you? Oh, totally now. You know, she's she's out of the church and it's been decades. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, And she's a completely different person, but it's just like in terms of the very real PTSD that she experienced, but obviously me too. Yeah. I can't imagine being my parents because I'm still, I think because of the church, living in that body of the six-year-old kid that's being beaten by the church when really Mm -hmm. it was a very unwell woman the depth of the mental illness that we'll talk about when we talk about some of the things that Christian nightmares features on, on its sites, you know, like these TikToks recently by (laughs) young Christian women in particular, where I'm just like, honey, you are depressed. Like you are just really, really, really sad. And I don't know that this is going to be better. Um, (laughs) when you say that Aaron what do you mean you're depressed like what are what TikToks are you thinking of because I know Christian Nightmares posted it wasn't a TikTok but there was something on the site on Instagram today or yesterday with a young woman saying once she found God that she started realizing that the way that she dressed was really inappropriate and that she needed to you know button up essentially The caption that you had was great. It wasn't meant to be funny or making fun of her. It was like, this is sadly the effect of extreme Christianity on the brains of young women of like, you've done something bad and that your body is bad. Yeah, that's a huge theme in the church, at least the church I grew up in. Listening to you talk, Aaron, about corporal punishment in the name of the Lord and Christian about your experiences being scared of what you saw and were taught in your church. Aaron and I were talking last night about sort of the father, the heavenly father, 
as a replacement for for fathers. Mm-hmm. What do either of you think about that concept? Does evangelical Christianity need fear to work? Like, do people need to be terrified for it to be an effective source of faith? Hmm. Yeah, you know that show, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. That is Christianity, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And that's our patriarchal society, and that's our home life. As the greatest generation knew it, Mm -hmm. you know, the boomers, the people that raised my generation. So when I see the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, Christian, with this church, Hillsong in Hollywood, in like the sort of Bieberization, if you will, all these white girls look like Haley Bieber. Yeah. (laughs) They really do. It's like the same lashes, the same skin, the same injections at 23 or whatever. (laughs) The way you look, and perfection, particularly for women, and of course, Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, this is why we have gender, is because of Adam and Eve and because of him mm-hmm. and her. And the female of the species was meant to adorn and to look hot and to provide everything that the Holy Father needs. I don't know why mm-hmm. it's like that, but it is. What was your impression, Christian, as a young boy growing up with this paradigm? Well, just getting back to the the idea of fear and if Christianity has to, you know, if fear has to exist for Christianity to work, that was the case the way I was raised. For me, too, it was there was the threat of hell and this idea that the rapture could happen, too, and maybe you weren't saved. But I think what maybe I had the hardest time with was this omniscient God and this all-knowing God who could read your thoughts, you know, there's one thing, like I can probably not steal or I can do these 10 commandments, but like just constantly reevaluating your thoughts that I think drove me crazy the most. And that was, was I lusting after somebody? Was I jealous? Was I being anything? I was confessing my sins about 750 times a day. Um, It's just a really, it's a neurotic way to live. My own father, I had, you know, very fond memories of him. My dad, my dad was pretty great dad in most ways. Um, yeah. But then there was this idea of the heavenly father who was like the real disciplinarian, like the real <laughs> badass that you couldn't fuck with and who you couldn't get away with anything. It's constant fear, or at least it was for me. Yeah. Did either of you go to camp, to Christian camps? Yeah, every summer. I think it was like starting at around age eight, eight or nine, maybe or seven or eight. And I went all the way through high school and it was yeah. kind of fun. Some of it was fun because you get, you were away from home and you met new people and there's horseback riding and there was, they had a boat and you could go water skiing and whatever, there's stuff like that. But, um, it was just intense sermons too. I remember being really, uh, like on fire for the Lord when I'd come home from camp yeah, and then not being able to maintain that. And, and again, kind of feeling like there was something wrong with me. Right. Um, what did being on fire for the Lord look like, especially as a teenager? This is kind of ridiculous but like i remember one summer i came home and i smashed my uh survivor eye of the tiger cassette with a hammer <laughs> um in the garage it's like enough of this secular music did they tell you to do that at camp where they like yeah. take it home yeah i think they did actually yeah i don't know where i would have gotten that idea and they talked a lot about that there was a lot of anti-rock talk yeah um 
I think when I'd get home from camp too, like I was like being on fire meant that I would try to witness more to my friends, evangelize more. Yeah. Um, so I think I did a little bit of that, or at least when I was a little younger, maybe, maybe not so much in high school, but I'd try to pray every day. Like my devotions, I would, I would read the Bible every day. I'd get down on my knees and pray next to my bed. Like mm-hmm. that was a, like a real sign of devotion. Did you feel othered, Aaron and Christian, by your faith? Or did you sort of feel sorry for those that weren't saved? Christian, when you mentioned witnessing to your friends, what was mm-hmm. what was the reception? Were they like, did they shun you for that? Did you feel superior to them? Like, how did you navigate friendships with the unsaved? That was tough. Now that I think of it, it wasn't, so, it was more when I was maybe up until middle school mm-hmm. that I would do that. From middle school on, I got, you know, I wasn't as deeply involved in that way, but I don't know if I was shunned. I think that I, everyone kind of knew where I was coming from. So I think my friends were kind of understanding of that. As far as being embarrassed or feeling like standing out, one thing, we used to go out to dinner and stuff and my mother would pray out loud in the restaurant. Mm. And that was one way that I felt really super embarrassed. And yeah, um, I remember being... I don't even know what kind of evangelical Christianity it was. It was more just like, we have our church and it's Christian and it's born again based. And Mm -hmm. the Catholics, despite whatever you hear from them, they are messed up people and they are not going to heaven. And then this is confusing because there's, there's the John the Baptist Bible. And so the Mm -hmm. Baptist faith was close to our kind of evangelical Christian faith, but it was different because it was still too in the past, which I found out because I tried to wear like pink leather pants to one of their church services, (laughs) like that a, a friend from camp was like, come to my church. And then I became like the example of why girls can't wear pants. Um, (laughs) But it's that too, is when you're a kid learning the rules of who gets into heaven, your job is to testify, which is like your Mm -hmm. TED talk for Jesus. You're supposed to save people. So like, what is wrong with you if you can't save people from eternal damnation? If you can't be like so charming and wonderful and like a light, it's just a lot of pressure on a kid, you know? Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And it was just pounded into my head that if you don't, it's kind of your fault if they're burning for eternity, you know? And they always, some example in the Bible of looking up, the person looking up from hell and just begging for like somebody to just like a drop of water on their tongue or something like that. Your friends are going to be looking up at you and saying, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure. It's so much pressure. It's just, I have always talk about him on the episodes, but I have a five-year-old nephew and just the idea introducing him to the concept of like eternal damnation makes my heart hurt. (laughs) Like just... That you, that you, poor babies, both of you had to go through that. I mean, and and I, I say that as someone who understands too, that there are aspects of faith and Christianity that are very important to people. Very much Spirituality is important to people. And Mm -hmm. I don't judge that. Um, But I'm happy for both of you that you were able to eventually (laughs) move away from the church, which leads me to my next question, Christian, when when did you have your mm-hmm. quote unquote awakening or when did you decide like, maybe this is not something that I want to keep being in? You know, it was a slow process that happened for a while of me moving away from the church. 
in high school, I was really fighting it. Then I went away to college and, you know, I'd come home to visit my parents and they would, I'd get a lot of pressure from my mom to go to church and started fighting her on that more. And then it was an Easter Sunday and I went to church with my family and there was an altar call at the end of the service asking, you know, if, if you'd like to be born again, or it was probably posed more like, you know, if you were to die here, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Well, you can know for sure if you, you know, accept Jesus into your heart, you know, would you like to come forward and do that? And, um, they had this altar call and I remember there were other little kids there that were like weeping and like super mm. upset and like, we're going forward to get saved and just, I don't know, something and it just connected with me. It was like, wow, I remember that. Like, this is really fucked up. I just, this is like a, a form of child abuse in a way. Um, yeah. That was the breaking point for me. And I just decided I didn't want to be a part of that in any way, even to just passively sit through a church service. Like I just never wanted to be anywhere near that. So that was the last time I went to church and that was maybe 15 years ago, probably. But it took me a while. I was, I was still, I was older, you know, but yeah, I think that was it. You mentioned that your dad knows about Christian nightmares. Does any of your other family, does your mm -hmm. mother know? No, that's a, uh, well, there's a few reasons why I'm anonymous, but that's, that's definitely a big part of it. I mean, yeah, it would not go well. And it also would, I think, bring some attention on her possibly. Yeah. That I just wouldn't want to happen. You know, her church is everything to her. And obviously I have my problems with it, but it's her whole community. It's her, it's her whole world. And she's older now. She's not going to change her mind on, on, on yeah. this. And I have other family members too, that are still deeply involved in the church. Um, yeah. So that's the main reason why I'm anonymous. Also, I, things are kind of crazy out there. Like I've, I get some really threatening emails and yeah. You know, I've known other people who have had people show up at their house, at their door steps for certain, you know, things that, that they cover online or whatever. So yeah, I don't, yeah. That was my assumption scary. as to that your anonymity was for your own safety. Yeah. Those are the main reasons. But also the one other reason is that I do like the idea of Christian nightmares could be anybody, you know, like I think yes. it'd be way less interesting if it was just me. In a way, I don't want it to be about me at all. It's just this character that could be, you don't know how old this character is necessarily or what. Yeah. I don't know. It's a blank slate almost. It's, I feel like anybody can kind of project onto if they want to, that have gone through this stuff. Quickly, Aaron, because I didn't get a response from you, but I know that you had a famous camp experience. What was your Christian camp like? <laughs> well, I love that you mentioned your Eye of the Tiger tape. <laughs> um, I assume it was a tape because it was. It was really that era of the 80s and getting into music. That was one of the ways that the Beatles really saved my life. And that's why my book is called Don't Let Me Down, because my dad was a huge Beatles fan before the church sort of interloped. And then the fact that the Beatles records, because of John Lennon speaking the truth and just saying, like, this rock and roll band is bigger than Jesus Christ, you know? Mm -hmm that spurned the KKK to do and other and other Christian groups to like burn their record famously in that. 1966 in the US. Mm -hmm. And I'd grown up listening to, you know, Amy Grant on vinyl, but also <laughs> like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and all the great vinyl music that my dad had. And so when it came time to go to that father-daughter, in our case, uh, youth group where we talk about rock and roll, 
It happened mm-hmm. to be Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer was like the hot song of the moment. And I was like really into Janet Jackson's Control. And that was also happening around that time. And my dad had gotten me that tape. He was always like encouraging this pop music exploration. And so when I kind of raised my hand and talked about like living on a prayer, I got the response of like, well, they should change the lyrics to living on a wish because that's not real prayer. And I, you know, (laughs) told my dad later, I was like, come on, like these people, what do you mean living on a wish? What about this and this and this? And he realized he wasn't going to be able to pull that over on me. So he just, he was just like, you're right. Don't tell your mother, you know, like, let's just, (laughs) let's move on. And so we agreed to that I could have my rock and roll. But at that same age is also when I started saying no to camp. Um, And I ended up trashing our girls cabin um, at Christian camp one week because I was just so angry. It was like this very primal kind of response where I just couldn't take the bullshit. Mm Because, you know, it's this very segmented you have to pray in the morning for an hour and Mm -hmm. you have to listen to testimony for an hour and then you have to sing bad Mm -hmm. music for an an hour. You can't masturbate. Everything is your fault. You're a terrible person. (laughs) Meanwhile, you hate your parents, your brother. Mm -hmm. I I just cracked. I I think I had a psychotic fucking break as a kid and I trashed our cabin. How Um, old were you? I was 12. And the, like the hot camp counselor, like let's call her Judy, you know, like Mm. took me to her bosom as she's like, I know what you did. We had to pray about it. Mm -hmm. And I remember consciously like, okay, this is me manipulating her, this pretty teen girl and, Mm. and telling her that I'm sorry as she holds me to her C cups and I'm not really sorry, (laughs) (laughs) but I totally get it. There's so many people that I love who love Jesus and love, Mm -hmm. love the Lord and are praying for me right now. And it's complicated. It really seeps in. It's hard to be patient too. I'm sure like when people say they're praying for you, that's hard for me to hold my tongue because it's the most condescending. I mean, I know they don't mean it that way, but, um, yeah, that's kind of, it's, it's, there's something wrong with you. It's not even let's agree to disagree. It's let's agree that I think there's something wrong with you and you don't get to be angry about it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I like it though. I want people to pray yeah. for me. I mean, it's, it's more attention. If they want to, if they want to send all of their well wishes my way, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> bless my heart, bless your heart. Christian, yep. you have a new addition to your family, correct? You're a new, Yay. new dad. I am. Tell us yeah. about that. Um, our daughter is just a little over three months old. Oh, um, oh wow. It's, yeah, she's pretty new. It's amazing. First time dad. I've never experienced this. I know billions of people have, but it's just that, that instant love mm-hmm. when I met her is just like, we're not sleeping a lot but it's totally fine. Um, she's a really happy baby so far. I hope she stays that way. I just wake up and she's like smiling and wants to play and just wants me to pick her up. Three months is like laughing at yeah. people. Smiling a lot. So yeah, it's great. It's really great. You know, considering your upbringing and in the church and, and also like 
what we talked about with your own father being sort of hands off with that. Like, have you thought about your experiences growing up and breaking the cycle, so to speak, in your own parenting with your daughter? Yeah. I mean, I've thought about it a lot. I really want the complete opposite for her. Yeah. <laughs> um, not to say that I didn't, you know, I have some okay child memories and my parents did the best they could in, in a lot of ways, you know, and I loved them, but it was not a lot of fun and it was a lot of self-doubt and fear and guilt. And I just, I want to make sure that my daughter feels totally loved and knows that she's okay. I just want her to want to talk to me. I want her to be curious. I don't want to, you mentioned Aaron, just like Sundays were hell from, you know, it was like, yeah get up and go to Sunday school, then go to the service, then hang out after the church. And then we'd go home and eat some like big pot roast or something. And everyone would feel sick and like want to take a nap. And, you know? yeah. and then you're like, now it's time to go to the evening service. And like your whole day was just like, I want to, I want to get up and I want to go out and I want to enjoy life and not ever have my daughter feel like she needs to spend a day or any time with somebody telling her how awful she is and how how she needs to get right with, with God or else she's going to, she's going to burn in hell forever. So how will you resist sort of the cultural norms of America, which is, you know, pray, 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 and just the culture wars. Like, are you one of those people that wants to like teach their kid about all the different kind of religions, or do you just want to like, let her come to you? I don't know yet. I think I probably would like her to just come to me and I want her to just enjoy life. And I just want her to be, be curious about things. And I hope we have a relationship where she, she wants to ask me tons of questions and probably won't know yeah. the answers to half of them, but like, I just want to have a good open dialogue and yeah, just enjoy life and travel and go on hikes. And if she's curious about religion, then we can talk about that, you know? Um, yeah. but I don't think it's something that I'm going to present to her. Like, Right. Most people have a religion that they follow. Would you like to, you know, choose one for yourself? Like, I don't, I just don't think that's necessary. I mean. Have you considered what it will look like? I'm sure your parents are very excited that there's a new baby in the house, in your house. Yeah. Do you think your mother will, will try to take her to church or? She's going to try to talk to her about it. I think I need, I haven't had that conversation with my mother yet. I know I'm going to have to, because no matter what I say, Things like this have come up in the past. And she said, oh, no, I would never. And then she just stops, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to have to talk about that. I, I think she knows that I won't let her take her to church. My mom and I really butted heads for many years. And I think that we finally, finally, it took a lot of work, but kind of respect each other's boundaries now. So I don't think that'll be an issue. But I know she's going to want to share. She's going to want to read her Bible stories. Or she's going to want to tell her what she learned at church during the sermon. Or I don't know. I, I got to figure out how to yeah. handle that. I haven't really... My father's mother famously, they grew up Lutheran and kind of loosey-goosey Lutheran. Mm -hmm. And then she became like, she joined some new chapter of the Lutheran church in her little tiny Iowa town. She sent us books about creationism when I was like 10. Books for like adults too. Scientist yeah. like explains like, you know, <laughs> that uh, creationism is real. It was my first time realizing that like my father had had to make a decision about controlling the narrative around religion in our home yeah even yeah, after yeah. I, long after i knew i didn't want to have anything to do with the church i really didn't even realize that i wasn't a creationist like i never heard the word <laughs> creationist until my one friend's atheist dad who's now my stepdad but at the time was just my friend's dad 
he's like, so you're a creationist when I was 16. And I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, do you believe that God created the earth in seven days and there's Adam and Eve and all of that? And I was like, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I I just had never, ever met anyone that would, certainly no one in my public school that I went to in small town, Ohio, like challenged creationism. They actually allowed for it in the science classes like there were certain mm-hmm. students that were always absent on like dinosaur day i don't it was so <laughs> weird did yeah. you do you remember christian being in like science classes in grade school and were you there on dinosaur day i don't remember mm-hmm. how i handled that kind of uh you know it's all so confusing I, yeah i again too like i think i was i believed but i didn't really yeah. believe I kind of knew that it was, you know, oh, at church, we're going to be talking about Adam and Eve, you know, and Noah's Ark. And, but here, there's a different story. My, my, also, my school wasn't that great. <laughs> I don't even know if they were teaching us much science. Same. Um, yeah, nobody's so. school was public school <laughs> in Phoenix. Same. I wonder, Christian, about like how you perceived adults. Was that confusing? Because I imagine, like, how did you navigate adults as authority figures? There had to have been adults that you interacted with that weren't in the church who were maybe you know into rock and roll or like a cool like a parent of Mm -hmm. a friend maybe or somebody that like was decidedly not saved but you still saw as an authority figure like did you experience that confusion at all or yeah i mean i think definitely problems with authority that i think stem directly to church you know and i think you know christian nightmares relates to this in some ways like i i think to preserve my sanity and to kind of try to protect myself i became a little wise ass i was the like smirking kid at the back of the church who but i think i had to do that to i don't know it was some kind of defense mechanism i mean there was the pastor who was the authority figure who i didn't agree with him on almost anything um for example there was a pastor in our church who he even felt that it was immodest for men to wear shorts. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So at the church picnic, it would be like July and all the other men would show up in long pants just because they knew if, if they showed up in shorts, the pastor would give them, you know, a look. And so I was like, this guy's a fucking idiot. You know what I mean? This is crazy, yeah. but he's in charge and like everybody's following in line. I was like, you guys are, you know, it just seemed ridiculous to me. Ugh. Or another thing that would happen was, which I think is a part of a larger problem in churches is somebody would join the church and, you know, like two months before he was like going to a methadone clinic, you know, and then, mm-hmm. you know, no, you know, great cleaning up your act. But then, you know, all of a sudden he'd be leading youth group or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, and maybe yeah. that wasn't the best choice. Yeah. And there was one point where I tried to grow my hair long and, he, and you know, this guy was calling me a little girl and making fun of me. And was like, Ugh, you know, you know yeah. it was just, anyway, they gave power to people. Yeah. Very easily. Sinners. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, this idea that, you know, you've been forgiven by God and, and I, that's great that people felt like they could have a fresh start, but, um, to a 13 year old who was all, all of a sudden had to sit at the feet of somebody that I didn't respect at all. It was yeah. kind of infuriating, yeah. you know, and I think set a mold for kind of how I maybe reacted to things in life that weren't weren't really even doing much to me, but I kind of perceived as being a threat or some kind of phony authority figure that I, that I resented. What did you even... do with that anger? Like I had a lot of anger as a kid yeah. that I got rid of via punk music and mm-hmm. uh, screaming in my bedroom yeah. along to Bikini Kill. But like, what, 
What like, (laughs) what did you do with that? Because it's not okay to be an angry boy in the church, right? I mean, I kind of lived a double life too. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I was, I I got super into punk rock, uh, really, really hardcore into skateboarding. Um, Yes. And, you know, I had to hide my music though. Like I had to hide it all. My mother found it once and threw it all away. And it was skateboarding and it was punk rock. I also started smoking pot really young when I was 11. That's Um, very young. Yes. Yeah. So I was, I didn't deal with it in a healthy way, you know, but I think that's, I think that's that's like pretty healthy though. Those are like the three skateboarding, (laughs) punk and pot. (laughs) SPP. Maybe not at 11, but. (laughs) Skateboard culture made it so easy, you know, like it packaged everything. As long as you had Thrasher or Big Brother magazine, like you Mm -hmm. had all the iconography Lucero, like all the, you know, they would Mm -hmm. subvert the religious iconography. Yeah. Those bands, like I remember like my Christian friend's mom, who was a skateboarder, like found his Dwarves album and like we didn't see him (laughs) for a year, but I was just so proud of him. When you guys were talking about camp and you mentioned Christian, that there were aspects of camp that were like kind of fun. I feel like famously you hear stories about camp, even Christian camps. It's not Mm -hmm. uncommon that people are like, that's where I lost my virginity. That's where I smoked pot for the first time. Mm -hmm. That's when I found out about this band. Were you meeting other kids that weren't sure about their faith too? I I did. Yeah. Like you always found each other somehow, you know, there was one summer and actually these guys kept coming. We, we met up at camp a few years in a row. Like I dipped for the, like chewing tobacco. We'd sneak out and do chewing tobacco. We paper toileted the like cabins and stuff. And these guys I ended up meeting up with outside of camp and they lived in Virginia beach and I went there, they, they smoked pot and they took me to crazy parties and stuff. So yeah, I kind of found my people at camp. You could definitely do that. You mentioned being the smirking kid in the back of the pew. So I'm wondering (laughs) how many people you were that person for at camp or in the church. I think I had to learn how to like toe the line, you know, I could make jokes like in youth group. I think one time we were reading through something and like temptations to avoid and number 12 was masturbation or something. And I would say like, I've heard Adam's had it, it has been really struggling with number 12 yeah, you know? right. <laughs> or things like that, like where people would like smirk and kind of laugh, but like I could kind of get away with it. They couldn't be too mad. I think yeah. that's more of the kind of thing that I would do. Let's just move into Christian Nightmare's greatest hits. We'll try to explain <laughs> for the listener, like what we're even talking about. <laughs> There's memes. There are some exquisite old VHS clips of some old televangelists, Jim Baker, all those guys doing their thing. And then there's like newer from the last 10 days, like little videos, right? Yeah, Erin, you mentioned TikTok and yeah. Christian Christian Nightmares, which listeners at home, it's Christian underscore Nightmares Instagram. Are you still doing the Tumblr too, or is it all on Insta and Twitter? It's mostly Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, it's, it's yep. yeah, it's Erin's mentioned. It's like the classics from the 80s, but then newer TikTok evangelists, including... We actually posted this to the Tell Me About Your Father Instagram a couple months ago. Christian, you shared a gentleman who I think is a youth pastor or a pastor, or maybe is and mm-hmm. he just fancies himself a pastor. He's also a Christian rapper who <gasps> approached yeah. a group of young women on a lake beach, and I think in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. 
and it does not go well for him. Yeah. It's a bunch of very um, <laughs> self-assured and smart young women who are just wearing bathing suits and bikinis. And he approaches them with his wife and which blew my mind, like a four-year-old, which I'm assuming mm -hmm. is his daughter, next to him and just starts yeah. spouting, you know, that they need to put clothes on and that he feels sorry for them and that they're going to, you know, burn. Yeah. And they're like, Aaron, you very astutely pointed out that they're the girls from White Lotus. From White Lotus. Oh my just God, when like, you said that. They're yeah. perfect. They're it's like, perfect. what's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. You're an adult man. Get away from us. <laughs> 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 yeah. You obviously have a boner and are really insecure about it. Ew. <laughs> exactly. They handled them so well. They really did. Like he really yeah. thought it was going to be okay in 2021 right. to go up to a group of teen girls yeah. and tell them to put clothes on at the beach what yeah i'm speaking truth your body will never ever satisfy the physical never ever satisfy there's a longing in each of your hearts to actually be seen the reason why the reason why you're showing your body because you're like am i pretty enough we're definitely pretty enough thank you hey i'm just i'm just saying Yes, please leave us just, alone. Just next time you come to a beach and there's young eyes, take that into consideration. Because, Bro, what are you because, talking about? You're going to go follow that man now? Yeah, go Move along. That's a lot different. And also, the thing I think that bothered me the most about that clip, besides what he was saying to them, was that his wife was standing there filming them as well. But she looked really kind of lost and like scared, scared. and the mm -hmm. four-year-old who's absorbing all of it is just like deer in headlights watching it go down but then christian yeah. nightmares yeah. found out about this gentleman's rap career and posted some of his raps so if you That's go to the right. christian nightmares Thank instagram you. listeners you can find <laughs> you can find some of his work you see i messed up and i should have seen them through the eyes of jesus but is what i did really that grievous Christian, we asked you to bring a few of your favorite Christian Nightmares clips that you've enjoyed in the past. The first is what you describe as scam, scam, evangelist. <laughs> scam evangelist. Yes. Robert yeah. Tilton. Tell us about Robert Tilton. What's his deal? Who is he? He's a televangelist who's been around for a really long time. He was really popular in the 80s into the 90s, I think. He made a lot of money. I, there was a fraud scandal at some point. He kind of lost, he lost most of it, uh, but he's still around. I think he's still a minister somewhere, but he has a much smaller following, but he was all over TV for years and years and just really over the top. And this is just one example of his like ridiculous claims, a lot of faith healing, send me money and, and your cancer will disappear. That kind of thing. I'm going to play a little bit of it. I'm just getting into a prophetic vein. Someone with a digestive tract problems, quickly called. There's a miracle for you. Intestinal problems. Someone with similar intestinal problems. We've seen several people being delivered from the colostomy bag. Disability with a child, some type of a learning disability. We've seen many, many children healed. We've seen midgets grow. We've seen arms and legs that stop growing because the growth cells that stop. I don't make this stuff up. We have thousands of testimonials documented by people's lives that have been changed. We've seen midgets grow. He really rips, he kind of rips <laughs> off a cliff. He's speaking in tongues. 
he's talking about the ways that he has seen accepting the Lord um, heal, including we've seen midgets grow. And then he defends himself. He's like, we're not making this up, but you know what? Somebody's telling the truth when they tell you that (laughs) they're not making something up. We're not making this up. I've seen midgets grow. (laughs) The latest episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, somebody asked Larry David to pray for their ailing father. And he's just like, why would I do that? That's so stupid. I don't believe in God. And the guy's like, how do you know that prayer doesn't work? And he's like, because I'm a bald man. (laughs) Um, The next clip is, I had to watch it a few times. My mouth was hanging open. A gentleman named David Benoit, is that how you say it? Um, Mm -hmm. Who, this appears to be a clip from maybe the 90s. He's talking about the evils of rock music. And then suddenly in the middle of this, is he speaking to kids? It's like, who is he talking to? Yeah, I think it's like a teen crowd, teen retreat type of thing. He starts impersonating a burn victim in the middle of it. I had a young boy who came to my seminar one night in Phoenix, Arizona. He had been burnt over 80% of his body. They had grafted pieces of skin from other parts of his body and they had made him little lips. Now, he didn't have lips like you and I have lips, but they grafted little skin and made him lips. When he came in that night, he stuck out his hand to shake my hand. And when I went to shake his hand, there was a secretion that came off his hand and almost made me nauseous. But I looked at him. He didn't say it very clearly, but I understood every word he said. He said it like this. Mr. Benoit, I had everything. I had drugs, I had sex, I had money, I had cars, I had everything. And one day I'll work on a hot pot, and all of a sudden that hot pot exploded and tar flew all over me. They took me to the hospital, and as I laid in that hospital, I said, Dear God, if this is what hell's going to be like, I never want to go to that place. That night I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and I'm never going to have to burn again. Well, that was the greatest thing ever could happen to that guy. And it all worked out. This video is titled The Most Horrible Christian Fundamentalist Moment Ever. Tell us who is this person and what is he doing? (laughs) He was a somewhat popular evangelist or a big in the occult circle. He preached a lot about the occult and, and the evils of rock music. And in this one, he was saying that he was speaking to a bunch of teens somewhere and, and he was telling them about the reality of hell. And, and if they keep going down this road of listening to rock music, that that's where they're headed. And, um, he had a kid come up to him and say that he was working on a hot pot and a hot pot got burned on him. And, you know, after experiencing that and listening to you talk about hell, there's no way I want to go to a place like hell. So, so I've decided to accept Jesus into my heart. And then the David Benoit guy is like, and that's the best thing that's ever happened. To him. Oh my you know? God. He, it's like, like it's comedy. that's what it took for him to, to become saved. So really in the end, it all worked out. The thing that's shocking about it is that he is not only impersonating a burn victim vocally, he's slurring his words. He's also yeah. tr- like screwing his face up while he's talking. It's really grotesque and amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and says that shaking the guy's hand almost made him sick. <laughs> he's disgusted by this guy yeah exactly he's He's talking about like the goo of the guy's hand and i was just like (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) what a christian well it's like everything is always so dark so that you can juxtapose it with like the healing light right but it's it's a little more nuanced when it comes to burn (laughs) it always has to be like the most hardcore example though I think is the point. It's like leprosy, Johnny paralyzed yeah, from the neck down right. and she can still paint. You know, it's about that triumph right. over the worst. The final <laughs> clip that we'll play 
which I really feel like is the grand finale and amazing is a woman named Patricia King. Tell us about Patricia Mm -hmm. King and what is happening in this video when she gets hit by what is she calls it, quote, the breaker anointing. (laughs) She's been around for a while. She is an evangelist. She is. um... She kind of looks like Jean Smart, but she's like (laughs) Jean Dum Dum. But she's got like this. This kind of cool frosted tips, jean smart haircut, you know, everyone could have been on designing women, these sassy (laughs) Christian women who wear blazers and like big earrings. And she's kind of having like an orgasmic Mm -hmm. response to Christian. What is it that she is talking about? I think she's being like anointed by the Holy Spirit or something. This just comes over her at, at times that she least expects it. So the breaker anoint. Whoa, 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 ho, ho. Ooh, I don't often get visited like this during a film shoot, but I'm getting visited right now by the breaker anointing. And the Lord just, whoa, told me that even though he himself is the breaker, whoa. He's assigning a breaker angel to our ministry right now. Oh, whoa, whoa. Oh, wow. I can feel its presence and its power right now. And um, I'm not going to stop the camera just because this is happening because it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, wow, whoa, And surprisingly, whoa. she says it hardly ever happens when I'm being filmed like this, you know? <laughs> right, because so. it, it's for TV. She is yeah. taking calls. Maybe it's a telethon. Maybe is she it's referring a... to the yeah. whole, is the Holy Spirit breaker? Who is breaker? The breaker anointing. I guess I I don't always know what they're talking about. Because I started thinking as like a breaker switch. Yeah, maybe it is. She's getting filled. Yeah, she is. <laughs> she is getting it. filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what we mean? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen other clips of people having like orgasmic responses to the power of Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of flopping around on the floor. She just kind of twitches and quivers, right? Yeah. It's like she's sitting on like a sitting on something. That's we'll just we'll just leave that to listeners. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. She's shot from she's sitting at a kitchen table (laughs) and the table is level with her. And we don't know. We don't know what else is happening in this video. Besides the brinker is anointing. This episode's going to go out. I guess it's December 7th or early December. So we wanted to ask you about some Christmas clips, Christian. You did bring us an incredible array. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. expect less from the internet's foremost purveyor of creepy Christian stuff. The first one that I want to play is a YouTube clip of some Christian couple in Oklahoma that do they have a car dealership? What are we? They own a car dealership. Okay. And this is 2016, I think, is when this commercial came out and just like around Christmas time. So politically, that was the environment there. Big government has failed us on all fronts. With political correctness silencing our freedom of Christian expression and faith. It's no surprise to God. He's seen it all. The good news? Our future looks brighter than ever. As America comes together, one nation under God. So as we celebrate the holidays, let's keep Christ in Christmas. From the entire David Stanley Autogrew family. God bless you and your family this holiday season. And God bless the United States of America. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so, it's like, I didn't expect, like everything that happens in that video, I don't expect yeah. to happen. 
I know. It ends listeners at home with an American flag, like unfurling behind them. (laughs) (laughs) And this couple is standing in this wintry scene with like a white church behind them. And just, you know, starting off with political correctness. And it's a Christmas car commercial like it's just that you think it's gonna be like from us from all of us at david stanley auto group happy holidays and instead it's like big government is ruining america (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but aaron to your point she the wife is smoking hot babe she has gone through the kardashian car wash you know like the kardashian car wash (laughs) yeah i mean it's miss america it's white america I was always taught that Jesus loves the United States first, and then we'll deal with the rest of the world. So I understand where the right wing is coming from with their mixing business with pleasure that way. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's a longer show. Please, we'll just play another clip called Happy Birthday Jesus, A Child's Prayer. This Mm -hmm. is by an artist named Little Cindy. Yeah, it was on a John Waters album a long time ago. So John Waters, thank you for introducing Little Cindy to the masses. I'm just going to cue this up. So do you know anything about Little Cindy? Who was she? I don't know that much about her. I just know that this song really creeps me out. I think she was like, there were a lot of, there was Little Marcy. There were these kind of Christian kids albums with really high pitched little girl voices that, that just sound really creepy when they're talking about stuff like this. We'll play a little bit right now. Happy birthday, Jesus. Mama said that you was near and that you had a birthday this time every year. She told me how you listened to every word we sang and that you hear us calling in the night or windy day. It's probably like Britney Spears' like real Christmas. <laughs> right. Like there's that southern lilt in there yeah you know yeah. that must have been some kind of found footage from vinyl days gone by uh, yeah i think so yeah yeah a little southern angel to your point christian about <laughs> the, the fear of god is like an omniscient presence like she mentions mm-hmm. in the first few lyrics of that song that god yeah. knows what you're thinking <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah, is listening always. to you <laughs> yeah 24 7. Also, if you want to follow Christian Nightmares on Twitter, it's Christian Nightmare, right? Not Nightmares, Nightmare Singular. It's Christ N and then N I T E M A R E. But if you search Christian Nightmares, it sh- it'll, it should come up on Twitter. It's a viral sensation. Yes. The other thing about <laughs> Christian music is that it is such an earworm you know like my husband and i have this game we play out here in ohio you have like some of the mainstream radio stations are gospel there's like contemporary christian rock or pop music is impossible to tell the difference of like contemporary pop music unless you know what you're listening for so we call this game um girlfriend or god is this guy singing about <laughs> his girlfriend or is he singing about God? Because it's the same like overwrought lyrical yeah. approach. It's the same like grunt, like, you know, or like, like Google dolls or mm-hmm. anyway, 
it's the struggle is real um <laughs> christian music is catchy well what about amy grant because like you know most people know amy grant from mainstream for baby baby but then she's also she was like a very successful christian musician before baby baby or after or simultaneously what the most she was yeah. a, probably the biggest right the, the biggest. biggest like how whitney yeah. houston like came out of the church like i think amy grant came right out of the church and just by the time I was old enough to understand what Christian music was versus secular music it was because of Amy Grant, because she had the audacity to get a divorce. She oh, divorced right. her husband yeah. because she and another Christian singer, and now I can't remember his name because I always call him like Mark David Chapman or something, but <laughs> one of those three names guys, they got married, they hooked up and got married. And so she had committed the biggest sin, which was like recording a secular song with Don Henley or whatever it was, and then doing Baby Baby, while also forsaking the vows of her marriage and getting with another musician, a Christian man, well, thereby yeah. blowing up two marriages. She They're was, still together. Yeah, She was married to a man named Gary Chapman. She's now with Vince Gill, who's, yeah, is he Vince a Christian Gill. singer or is he, I think he's a country singer. He's a country, secular, and both. Okay. And is but she secular now? Did she leave? I think she's both. I mean, she really got, she got a lot of hate from the church and... The pop yeah. world and i think she probably took a big break well speaking of christian nightmares she does have if you google amy grant christmas the first video that comes up is a song called grown-up christmas list <laughs> oh well i'll be sure to look into <laughs> grown-up christmas list where ah. she's like it's like a neutered version of Santa Baby. How do you find your material? Like, do people send it to you? And what has the response been like? Have you been in touch with people who had similar upbringings? And Yeah, when I first started doing it, I was researching and finding everything myself. Actually, for, for many years, that's how it was. And now, now people send me stuff all the time. So it's kind of a combination of both things pop into my head and I just do weird, random Google searches, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, um, rapture and end times antichrist and 1980s. It's not healthy. I spend probably <laughs> way too much time doing this stuff, but now people send me stuff and, and I go through it and people kind of, they, I get really good stuff sent in. Do you have any favorite nightmare purveyors? Like where you're like, oh, this, I know this TikTok star is going to have some good stuff like do you have people that you check up on regularly yeah not so much on tiktok these days that stuff there's just so much of it now it's just when i found somebody that i thought was just you know so out there there's another one comes along oh. and there's just something about that format too that's so cringy you know i, I mean don't it's get just because it. you don't have to you know you can just lip sync to anything and yeah. i mean there, there are some people that do it really well and can be really creative about it just there's so much proselytizing on there through it but um the people that I check out a lot, there's this guy, Hank Kuhneman, who is a pastor out of Omaha, who is a self-proclaimed prophet. I always go back to Jim Baker because he's still around and slinging his, his food buckets and his anything bucket. he can to make a buck. Oh, is, yeah. yeah. I got two of those buckets. Did you really? Year. Did you try it? They're, they're called like prepper buckets. Oh, my God. They're so heavy. When, how did you get <laughs> yeah. them? Oh, from, from my husband's father. Oh. They are definite. We get the MyPillow stuff. We get the. Oh, yeah. We get any product affiliated with the church. Wow. 
I know about Jim Baker's buckets from Vic Burger's videos. Those are brilliant. Yeah. Also quickly curious, I have two more people I want to ask you about. Joel yeah. Osteen. Yeah. What? Prosperity gospel. What is that? That God wants you to be wealthy. You know, he's got some big time celebrities that go. I think Oprah goes to his church and. And Kanye too now. Oprah. Oh, really? Oprah is one of the reasons why he has such reach. He got I think. so big. Yeah. You know, she was under his spell around the same time yeah. she first met Dr. Phil. It's just this self. I mean, it's just real positive self-help kind of. Uh, right. He's like a motivational speaker, really. I mean. Um, yes. But his church is huge and his house is huge and his and he drives Ferraris, I think. And he, you know, it's just so much money. Kenneth Copeland is another favorite of mine. I'm going to send you some videos, but he's uh, just a super creepy televangelist who is, he was the one Vic Berger actually covered him too. I think he, um, he tried to blow the, the coronavirus away. Didn't, oh, do you, do you right. remember seeing that video? Like with a, his with, mouth? He, with, with his, his mouth? mouth. Yeah. He blew it away. And yeah, he's done a lot of crazy stuff like that, but he's also, he's, he was confronted about his private jets. There was this classic clip with him being confronted about his private jets. And yeah, he's somebody I check in on quite a bit. He's oh. still going because he's also, he's worth like $300 million. You oh, know? And, he, and, and yeah, Joel, Joel Osteen too, right? I, I just, while we, we were talking, Google that Joel Osteen's church got $4.4 million in COVID PPP loans. Isn't yeah, that I remember insane? That. Yeah. Wow. They got $4.4 million in COVID relief funds, his church. Yeah. Incredible. And churches are... Don't pay taxes either. Yeah, no, churches exactly. are businesses. <laughs> and that is at the heart of all of this. It's like fundraising, not for orphans, but fundraising for a bigger, better church. Right. That's what these yeah. folks are selling. Have you watched or followed any of the Kanye West, his church that he has? I have. Yeah. I've, what I've, is I've, that? I've, I've liked some of Kanye's music. Oh, um, yeah. I think he's not okay, you know. Right. I think he has some serious mental health issues, you know. Um, but, I mean, he seems pretty earnest about this stuff. But I yeah. don't think it's very good. And I didn't love that he had, I don't know if you saw that he had Marilyn Manson at one <laughs> yeah. of his services too, yeah. which seemed like a kind of, you know, PR opportunity for him, kind of trying to rehabilitate his That really his surprised image. me that Manson yeah. would do that. That was but creepy. Manson, yeah. Bieber, and Kanye. There's like a photo yeah. or a video of them at Kanye's church, all yeah. up on stage together. It just, Kanye West, I don't even want to say I'm giving him a pass, but I feel like there is mental health stuff there. And I'm more amazed that Marilyn Manson would do that. I guess I shouldn't be considering who he's been revealed to be over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. The cynicism of that, it's just really sick. And then Bieber, I also yeah. give a pass to because I don't think he knows what's ever going on around him. I also think he has severe right. trauma from his yeah. upbringing. Well, yeah. they all do. That's why it's, yeah. there's a lot of <laughs> mental illness. And this is like the placebo for that. Yeah. What do you think? And was my really my final question? Have you? Do you feel echoes of your upbringing now, even though you've left the church and you aren't in it anymore? Like, do you still feel guilt? Do you still, you know, have feelings of shame around things? Or is it what was the sort of like reconstruction for you, like as an adult, to come out of that? That's a really good question. I 
think that through doing Christian nightmares, and I, and I, I really don't think I would recommend it for anybody, but like, I'm a little obsessive, you know, I just consumed so much of this stuff and I just, it was almost like electroshock therapy or something, you know, like mm -hmm. I just kind of pummeled myself with these images <laughs> until I almost became desensitized to it or yeah. not that I don't have feelings about it. Not that I don't look at certain videos and have empathy for people for what they're going through, especially if it's kids involved. And, but I, I think I needed to, it was kind of like a desensitization process for me and I don't have as much shame anymore. I don't, I mean, but for. It really did take me half of my adult's life to get over my childhood, you know? I mean, I don't know about you, Aaron, but I, you know, I went to therapy for years. I mean, I just, oh, yeah. you know, like years yeah. and years. And years I mean, it's years. with me, the constant question. I mean, one thing that I do that I, I don't really, I haven't really talked about too much, but like, I'm pretty OCD. I check the stove when I leave the apartment, even if I haven't used the stove for three days, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I think it's this like feeling of wanting to be in control because I yes. kind of felt out of control as a kid. Yeah. Something. So, I mean, I think that stuff still lingers with me now as an adult, but I am more confident in my beliefs or my non-beliefs now. Yeah. Uh, and we're be. funnier because we understand <laughs> irony and, <laughs> and good taste so. versus bad taste. And <laughs> when people are lying, I often think yeah. if you grew up in that perfect household where everybody is progressive and liberal and you should just talk about your feelings, and, mm -hmm. you know, we're all equal. Fuck that. That's not America. That's not the way the world is. <laughs> and that's not how people grow up and write memoirs. Okay. Uh, well, Christian, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about growing up in the church and being a dad. Thanks it's so been much for having amazing me. Amazing to watch Christian nightmares thrive over the years. Thrive. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. And thank you for sharing your story and for, you know, vowing to be the kind of dad that will just talk and listen and hear <sighs> that what their kid has to say. We see you. <laughs> Yeah, you. You. Yeah, we're not Thanks. afraid. We're not afraid. <laughs> thank you. So thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Christian, for sharing your story and for telling us about your father, both spiritual and earthly, and you being a father. Oh, thank you. you Thanks so much. It was really guys. fun talking with you guys. Tell Me About Your Father and Daddy Issues are created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. You can always listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, and anywhere you get your shows. Follow us at Tell Me About Your Father on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter that accompanies new episodes at tellmeaboutyourfather.com. And for bonus content, go to patreon.com slash, you guessed it, tell me about your father, where for as little as $3, you'll get access to an extra episode of Daddy Issues every month. Oh, and Apple Podcasts is like the New York Times book review of platforms. So if you can, go there to rate and review us. We'd love to hear what you think. <laughs>